You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and today we're talking about the research for every Enneagram type in relationship. On this episode, I'm so honored to be joined by Molly Owens, founder and CEO of Trudy Psychometrics. I am just thrilled, honestly. And you know, if you've been on the Instagram or hearing previous podcasts, how excited I am. And I'm holding back some excitement because I don't want you to have to plug your ears. But I have had vitamin C and my happy tea, so I am in a good space for talking with Joy about personalities with you today, and I think it's a good day to do it because we have good news for you guys. And first, I want to start out with talking to you a little bit about the results disclaimer because let's get that out of the way so we can just get into our coffee slash tea style chat today. As you'll hear from Molly's personality type, we wanted an organic, authentic experience We're not going to go through everything, but we are going to go through a lot. It's just a fun, dynamic presentation that's real and down to earth, and we laugh a lot. And if you just want the nitty gritty one through nine types, totally get that. I get in that zone 100% sometimes, and I want to bypass everything else human. So feel free to go to the results at trudy.com, and you'll see their articles. They have it. Feel free to go through my Instagram page at Enneagram and Marriage on IG, and you can find the exact results then. And then you know we're not going to be done with this conversation. Just like the Enneagram Glow, this is a long conversation, and we're not going to take care of all of it in one podcast, but we are going to take care of a lot. Hence the tea, hence grab your coffee, hence get comfortable because we're really going to have fun today. So the disclaimer otherwise is make sure that you know that you are an individual. So even if you hear something about your type, understand that it might be your type in the past or something you grew up from 10 years ago, or maybe it's you spot on and you're going to do a little bit of the alphabet thing and defy gravity. We want you to understand that these results are for you to enjoy, to grow, to grapple with, and not to take as any indication of who you're best paired with, because that's not what this was about. And you can't make those kind of inferences when you do research. You're just catching people at a particular time in a particular point. In this case, as much as Trudy does millions of tests, you'll hear all the time, every month, we had here an 88,000 person sample. So we really got a great sample size for relationships only. But again, it was a particular time and space. So understand you're not just a point. You're not just a median mean or mode on a statistical scale. You're a person. So chill and relax with us. Enjoy the results. Get curious with us and let your personality grow because of what you learned today. That's always a great tip is to just be open to thinking about things and how can I be healthier with my relationships and perhaps not put all of my everything into those relationships. But even me as a seven learning I also had something to learn about this as I'll share after our interview, but I just want to see what you guys are going to learn. I'm so excited. So if you want to go head over to the research, go to Truity, go to EnneagramandMarriage.com or go to the Enneagram and Marriage Instagram. And in the meantime, let's talk personality together. Before we bring Molly on, I just want to go over real quick that it's really difficult to find a definition even for a personality type, but it's generally defined as a relatively stable patterns of psychological characteristics called traits. Traits Traits are these enduring and consistent patterns of thoughts, feelings, attitudes, and behaviors that we have. So when we're talking about types, we're talking about a collection of traits that somebody has put together and said, these are personality types. And as you can imagine, and you've heard on past episodes, 
we're starting to get finely tuned in our personality after the first few years of life. And then that happens again with life transitions, as Molly will talk about. And we start to develop these traits in a more consistent, ongoing pattern. And that makes up our type. So when Molly Owens' team contacted me to find out about the research Enneagram and Marriage had been doing on couples, we've been doing small-scale research, qualitative research, conversational research. I've gotten some polls and surveys, but their research has just been coming in in the droves, like I said, in the millions. So this 88,000 person study is one of the bigger studies in Enneagram relationship research. And that's why I'm so excited about it because I know that when you start to look at trends in relationships, you can see yourself and say, okay, I'm looking, I'm not stuck in my box. I'm actually seeing this is a big trend amongst my type. Is there something that I need to pay attention to here? Is there something that I need to wake up to? Is there something that I must be more cognizant of if my type's typical issues aren't in line with what I want to do in the world, frankly? If it's not in line with what I want to be remembered by with my legacy, is this something that I always knew, but I'm hearing it today and it somehow frees me or makes me stronger or better able to cope? This is the kind of, I hope, reactions you'll have from today's show, this curiosity, like we said, and hopefully a healthy shifting if you're shifting at all. It otherwise may just be a super fun episode for you, but either way, I'm going to go ahead and get to that. But I wanted to give you that brief of what we're really looking at and why we're really looking at it is to help you guys to let you see your strengths and your areas for growth in a little bit of a different context. And I'm just grateful because Enneagram and Relationship Research is young and I just did not have the bandwidth or capacity to do such a wide scale study. So just thrilled and thankful that we got this time with Molly's group at Truity. And she'll talk about their awesome personality test as well as they work with Beatrice Chestnut on it. I know a lot of you are like, wait a sec, you've never talked about Truity on this podcast before. Are they valid? So don't worry. I asked all those questions for all of us. You know, my six wing was right there with you investigating and my five and all of your wonderful types thinking of you and your questions you've been asking me along the way. So let's get to that interview with Molly. Welcome her right now. Okay. Hey, I'm so excited. I have Molly Owens, the CEO of Truity here with me today. We have been waiting for this episode for so long, Molly. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. And I'm so glad to get to discuss this data with you. It was really fun to dive into. Oh my goodness. I bet we are all just in awe of how fast the Enneagram has taken off in the world at large, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It really sort of came out of nowhere and became this breakout thing. It's it's fascinating. But I mean, I think it was coming. I think especially with the younger generation, there's more of a focus on turning inward and figuring out who you are and really taking that time to do that introspection. So it makes sense. Um, And I think the Enneagram is such a powerful system. So I'm glad that this is the one that everyone is into. Oh, well, that makes me so happy because it turned a corner fast and I'm like, how are researchers dealing with this? So it was such a delight to hear that you're on it. And you guys have tested over 1.5 million people now, right? We actually get about a million people taking our Enneagram test every month right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little insane. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. And it's a ton of data. So we are able to do really large scale studies when we come up with something interesting to look at, which is a lot. Yeah. 
us, all of us like people who are having that researcher side right now are just all geeked out. So yay. Mm -hmm. Because everybody who listens to this show loves thinking about personality types. So I want to jump right in and ask you about just even as we got started, we were saying we don't want to pigeonhole people, but if you could tell us a little bit about your type, Molly, that would be awesome. Sure, absolutely. So I am a four. Mm. I started learning about the Enneagram when I was in graduate school, just with a quick seminar. And as soon as the leader started describing for us, I was like, okay, that's me. And he actually did not believe I was a four because he said I was too happy to be a four, which is a common misconception, Mm -hmm. which I'm, you know, always taking the opportunity to dispel, but I am absolutely a four. I studied to be a therapist. I went to graduate school to get a master's in counseling and then realized I was not a very good therapist. I was much too sort of goal oriented and impatient. So um, that's how I got into personality assessment. I was sort of casting around trying to figure out what should I do with my life? I took a personality assessment and I I thought, you know, that's just kind of fun. And that's always something I've been, I've always loved to take personality quizzes. And now I'm qualified to deliver them. So that's how I got started. Gosh, I love that, that you allowed your (laughs) core part of you to speak, to say, I need to have a little bit different. I can't go the traditional route as a four here. I love that. Everybody in the counseling world or coaching world, we love the research you guys are pulling and we wanted to do that, but we just had that other side a little bit saying, I have to do this, but what's hard is sadly, you do have to make choices in life, which I agree, but I love that you made it because when you do that, you get to really use your gift to the full. So here you are now, wow, over a million Enneagram tests and you do other personality tests too at Truity, right? We do actually. um, When I started, I had been working with the MBTI for several years and my original goal was to develop an alternative that that was a bit more affordable and accessible to people um, because the MBTI, official MBTI is very expensive. So that's where I started. And I did that for probably about five, six years. That was really our focus at Truity was working on that system. And then we saw the Enneagram sort of come into its own and realized that we really needed to start to focus on that as well. So I went to train with Sir Beatrice Chestnut and kind of went deep into the Enneagram and then started working on this assessment. Oh my goodness. I'm so touched that you got to know Dr. Beatrice Chestnut with this as well. And I noticed when you were doing your research on your page with the Enneagram, I was so impressed. I saw how you went deep with her to the Dante world and how you were really discussing with real clarity and as well as in a succinct way, how the test got started. And so I'm so happy you didn't just delve in only from the scientific aspect or even just the quantitative aspect, but that you took time Mm -hmm. to converse with some of the foremost leaders in the world. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was really important to me to learn from a strong teacher. And I really feel like one of the things I was worried about when we got into the Enneagram was whether you could even make an assessment based on it, because it's not Mm -hmm. really quantitative. It's not like Myers-Briggs theory, where you can kind of outline what's happening, you can kind of, you know, map it out with a graph. The Enneagram is so much more spiritual and so much more amorphous. And I thought, is it even possible to develop an assessment based on this? So 
I was kind of coming in, in into it from the opposite direction, trying to make sense of it quantitatively. And luckily, when we started to structure the assessment, it really did kind of shape up in an orderly fashion, which was a relief to me and very exciting to see, because I think it does add to the validity of the system when you can kind of map out the structure of the theory um, when you're working on an assessment. Mm, oh my gosh, just hearing that gives us confidence to say, oh good, there's some science to it as well. And I know we knew that, but <laughs> it's wonderful to hear from you where this is your specialty. And that was actually my next question. Tell us a little bit about the statistical significance that goes in when you're dealing with this big data that we're going to be sharing with our guests. So how does that come to in layman's terms? So when you're looking at an assessment, you want to make sure if you're doing a study like this, that you start with an assessment that is sound. And that means that you've done some of the psychometric tests on the assessment to make sure that it's valid and reliable. Valid just meaning that it measures what it's supposed to. So to use a metaphor, if you step on a bathroom scale, you want the bathroom scale to tell you your weight and not some random number. Um, mm -hmm. And then reliable, meaning that it gives you the same, roughly the same results every time. So again, with the bathroom scale, you don't want it to say 150 one day and 155 two seconds later. That mm -hmm. means it's not working right. So we do on all of our assessments that we release sort of a professional edition. We do a lot of statistical tests and iterations to make sure that our assessments are sound. So that's the basis of it. And then what we do is we survey people on whatever we're interested in along with that assessment. So with our relationship survey, we asked everyone who took it questions about their gender, about whether they're in a relationship right now, about whether they feel happy in a relationship or out of one, how, they, how important they feel it is to be in a relationship. And all these questions are optional. So nobody has to answer them if they don't feel like answering them. We only get people who are willing to participate. And then we sort of cross-reference the results from our assessment with the results from the survey and look at and see if we can find any trends. Oh, I love that. That's so thorough. And with the amount of data you're getting, such a big sample size, you have a smaller margin of error, right? Right. Yeah. Because we do have such huge sample sizes, we can tease out trends that you wouldn't be able to see with a smaller data set. And we're able to kind of slice and dice the data in ways to get really fine grained um, with the trends that we're seeing. So if you have a smaller data set, if you only have a few hundred people, you may not be able to separate out men and women and look at them separately to see if the trends are different for men versus women because you only have a few hundred people total. But um, typically with our large data sets, we can really get in there and say, okay, what about a female nine? What does mm. she think about relationships? I just respect you so much for going to those depths in Beatrice Chestnut for just showing you the way so that the two of you together could bring it even <laughs> deeper. Oh my gosh. So now I, you've already covered basically how we sometimes do an interview and we sometimes take a test, but do you think that it's valid and helpful to take a test as well as to interview about your type? Yeah, absolutely. I think in both cases, both can be helpful and they're helpful in different situations. I think in both cases, it's about the quality of the tool that you're using. So the quality of the interviewer and their training. And if you're going to take a test, the quality of the assessment and the, the sort of effort that's been put into it to make sure that it's accurate. I think an interviewer, if you could get a really high quality interviewer, if you could sit down with Beatrice Chestnut and mm -hmm. have her talk with you about your type, then absolutely, that's the best way to do it. But you want to be careful with somebody who maybe, you know, they just read one book about the Enneagram and they maybe are relying a little bit more on stereotypes and biases. And you would hope you might not get the best information there. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I think an interviewer can be really important if somebody doesn't have a lot of self-awareness. If you haven't spent a lot of time really thinking about what drives you, what you're afraid of, or what you really want out of life, a test is going to be hard to get into those deep areas if you haven't delved in there. So that's where an interviewer can actually bring you into more of a therapeutic process um, and draw that out. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. And you, of course, when you're selecting a therapist, you want to make sure you find somebody whose values you share, who really lines up with your goals, and who, of course, as you're alluding to, is well-trained so that you don't have to wonder as much. You might say, in fact, I just Mm -hmm. heard from somebody today, I want to know more because I've been dabbling for years in what my type is, and I'd really like to fine-tune it with somebody. So you want to have Mm -hmm. somebody or a good test and yours being the most popular right now in the world, it's just absolutely awesome to hear that it's also so highly regarded statistically. So thank you. And I'm glad we're doing both. Like you said, that's so important. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it's important to stay true to yourself too. Even if you are working with an expert or you take a test that you think is really high quality and it's true with any time you're engaging in therapy, you want to make sure that what you're hearing really rings true and feels like yourself. Um, you don't want to get caught up in the idea that you have heard the authoritative word from a test or an interviewer and that they know your type better than you do. If it doesn't really hit home for you, it's fine to keep searching. Mm, I love that you bring that up. That's excellent because so many people do feel scared when they learn their type and they may need even time to process that even years. And sometimes we can jump on a spouse and say, ha, I knew that you were this type. And a lot of times I encourage people (laughs) to wait, to take a pause there, to maybe think about their spouse in terms of what you think in your working hypothesis, but not shovel it down their throats. I can't tell you how many men say to me, stop calling me a five, you know, to their spouses and their work. <laughs> so we have to be careful that we don't label others or ourselves before we're ready to accept that growth process, as well as before we got on, you alluded to the fact, and I loved this, that sometimes people in their earlier years had done a vast amount of work. And so they take the test and it's showing them this open view of how they used to be something that they've worked so hard to work through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I do think finding out your Enneagram type has to be something that starts with you. It can't be your spouse saying, oh, I read about this. <laughs> I read this book about Enneagram and this is you. You got to read this. Mm-hmm. Even though I did admittedly do that to my husband. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a <laughs> Okay, now you've got to tell us what type did he work out to be? Did he get to this place where he wanted to take it and stuff? Oh, no, no. (laughs) He's steadfastly uninterested in anything to do with personality typing. So it's a nice personality free zone at home. He's a nine. So we're one of those classic four nine pairings. So I'm I consider myself something of an expert in the four nine pairing. And I think, you know, being a nine is probably you're probably there are probably a lot of nines out there that don't really care about the Enneagram or what type they are. And I think it's sort of on brand for them. I have met many that do. And I know some of our listeners are male nines. Uh, Some of the most devout Enneagrammers are, but there's also been quite Mm. a few who are just like, no, I just don't want it. And you can't, I'm going to be stubborn here as a nine. So you can't force it on anybody, (laughs) but you really can't force it on a nine, right? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. And I'm excited (laughs) to talk about 
Yes, not until they're ready. I'm excited about your data. Before we get to any pairings or relationship studies, I wanted to know if you're able to share any trends at large with which types are showing up more and maybe which types you're finding are a lot of a lot more this or that type than others out there. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because overall, we're pretty well distributed um, mm. among the types. There are no types that are just sort of dominating. There are a few that are a little bit more common um, and there are a few that are a little bit more gendered, which is interesting. So mm. um, there are a lot of female two mm. and there are a lot of male eights and fives. And those are some of the more common types per gender. Um, and the population as a whole, fives are one of the less common types. Mm. Kind of the whole five through seven quadrants is a little bit less common. We see a lot more twos, eights, nines, ones, threes, but it's not a huge difference. So in our sample as a whole, we had 13% eights and 9% fives. So it's not a, it's not totally, it's not too skewed. Right. I, that makes sense. And with males being more five oriented, it's probably that it's the fewer female fives, especially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. We do have more women on our site than men. So our, mm. our sample as a whole is, is skewed a little bit towards more towards the female um, orientation. Yes, that makes so much sense. I love that you are letting us know that there's a variety and there's an entire world of people with variation. And so that's comforting. I don't think I would like it very much if you're like, yeah, 90% of us are nines. You know, I'd be like, what? <laughs> right, right. And it also kind of speaks to the validity of the system of the Enneagram. If we do see a pretty even distribution, you know, it, it makes you wonder about a personality system. If everyone's in one bucket, you start to think maybe this isn't that useful, or maybe it's, maybe we're not really looking at the right aspects. But the fact that we have a pretty even distribution is a good sign. It's pretty common for somebody to take it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, we recommend that you take it again if you have gone through kind of a an awakening or some kind of big transition in your life where you may have discovered something new about yourself. So Mm -hmm. if you start a new job and it kind of accesses a completely different part of your personality, that might be a good time to come back and retake it. Or if you have children for the first time, that usually wakes up a lot in people that Mm -hmm. they didn't know was there. So that's another great time to come back and retake it. It's interesting because Enneagram is so new. And I think the first couple of years, everyone was just trying to figure out who they were, what their type was, kind of get their head around the system. And I think we're just starting to come into that point where people are starting to think, now what can I do with this? I know who I am, but what do I do about it? Um, So I think that sort of line of inquiry of how to use it in relationships is just really in its infancy. And I think the first place everyone wants to go with it is compatibility. Okay, you know, I'm a four, who should I be with? Who am I going to be happy with? Who should I be looking for? Or if you're already married, you know, are we compatible? Um, You know, are we kind of, are we working from a place of strength or are we trying to work against nature? And they're really, I'm going to be honest with you, there's no such thing as compatibility in personality. There is no way to tell from a personality test who's going to get along with who. If there was, somebody would have already developed this test billion dollars off of it. It's just, there's no way to predict it. Um, people have tried. 
So with the Enneagram, we certainly see some type pairings are more common than others. And I think that makes sense. But it's a mistake to think that you can predict who's going to get along by looking at their types or that you can approach if you're still dating, that you can approach that process by saying, okay, here's who I'm looking for. I'm a seven, so I need a six to balance me out. So, you know, that, that's the way I want to go. So really, I want to urge people to get away from that compatibility mindset, that idea that you've got some pattern that's set in stone and you're just following it through. Really, it's about if you're in a relationship, understanding who you're with and understanding what really motivates them and how you can be better as a partner to them. And if you're not in a relationship, certainly you can use it to start to understand trends and who you've dated and think critically about that. You know, who do I get along better with? Can I see any commonalities in the people that I'm attracted to? And is that working for me? As long as you approach it as kind of understanding you as an individual and not that you're following out some kind of predestined compatibility formula. Yeah, that makes so much sense. That's important that you started there because people can go in an unhealthy projection with that and say, you know, I just found out something devastating and that's just not mm-hmm. how, but also perhaps if they take the test too, give you guys a focus point to work together. And my audience knows that because I created the Enneagram glow guides for all 45 pairings. And in my case, because of my work and my passion for couples, each couple pairing has not only a name, but a piece of art, as well as an entire growth guide. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. To to give sort of targeted advice, because pairings will have sort of common themes that arise. Mm -hmm. You certainly can kind of say, oh, is this something you're going for? And people will go, oh, yeah, absolutely. That happens (laughs) all the time. Not that you can say that's a good pairing or a bad pairing, but you can say, you know, I bet this is something that you deal with. Yeah. And you mentioned the two five pairing, which I think is so funny because that's the pairing that shows up that fives see themselves with twos a lot. But I really Mm -hmm. liked how you brought that in because it's really a pairing, like you said, of the pursuer distancer cycle. And so that's Mm -hmm. the one that made me start on my Enneagram glow guides because I'm like, you guys can shine brightly Mm. together if you understand that this is a trend and that there is going to be, I call that relationship pairing sparks fly because we have a lot of sparks flying, but we don't always get to the full flame because we have the five running out, but yet their beautiful crossing of path keeps them a little more eternally young than some of the other pairings. So each one has a quintessential opposite. Yeah. So it's interesting in our data, we saw for five say that they were with Mm -hmm. twos more common than any other type, Mm -hmm. but the reverse wasn't true. Twos didn't really register fives as a common pairing. And I think that's because so many fives we found are out of the dating pool altogether. Mm -hmm. They say they don't have any interest in being in a relationship. They've never had a relationship. They're single right Mm -hmm. now. So the fives, there are a lot of fives. And like I said, there are fewer fives in the population and a lot of them just are not even in the dating pool. Um, So that's why I think they don't register as common partners for two. But the reverse, um, when fives do get into the dating pool, they seem to pair up with twos pretty frequently, which I thought was very interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that we do see some trends, this sort of opposites attract trend. It's not an absolute by any means, but we definitely saw some common pairings where it was kind of an opposites attract. And I think this is one of those cases. Mm -hmm. I also think that, um, you know, when you look at fives who are sort of reluctant to get into relationships, maybe the only ones who can tame them are the twos. Mm 
Um, maybe everyone else just sort of gives up and walks away. So this is too hard, too hard to reel you in. Um, whereas the two maybe are a little bit more persistent about it. Oh, they're um, persistent. Yes. They have fun with it. They are so funny. They do not give up. But the five finds that mesmerizing because they're like, I can't figure you out. You don't give up. Where did your energy come from? It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there definitely is some uh, something to the sort of yin-yang dynamic mm -hmm. where you do pair up with somebody who fills a missing piece for you. And I think for fives, it may be, the attraction may be that the two activates that more connected part of them. It may be that they see this two who really has a need for connection and they're kind of fascinated by the idea that somebody would function that way. And maybe they want to get a little bit closer and learn about it. And they find there's that symbiotic. I get some energy from my two when I'm brave and I step out a bit. There's some safety mm -hmm. there for them. They're like, you're not going to overwhelm me. In fact, now I have a bit more energy, but the two always has to grieve that they have a lot more. So that's always important. Mm. Do you feel like that with your pairing also the four nine? For sure. And I think we really saw fours being attracted to nines. And I think it's that sort of safe harbor. Um, nines mm -hmm. don't bring a lot of emotional intensity or sometimes any emotional <laughs> intensity. So there's a lot of space in the relationship for the four's emotional intensity without their partner kind of ramping it up or mm -hmm. feeding into it. it kind of gives the four a soft place to land. And I think that's what's behind that attraction. Um, I think fours probably admire that kind of placidness of the nine and they kind of want to know how do they do it and they also want to be with a partner who can kind of absorb their intensity without stirring it up if that makes sense oh it sure does because my teen daughters are four and nine and it's just so beautiful oh wow so, mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely. But, but the nine is such a safe holding space and then the four comes in with such compassion to the nine so do you see that too in your relationship a little bit sometimes yeah, so I think the fours focus on so the authenticity really draws out what the nine needs to work on. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes a little bit too aggressively. So we have to be careful about that. But just the fact that fours really want everyone to be themselves, and they want to know really how everyone feels about everything. I think that's a provocative question for a nine. Mm -hmm. And it really is their sort of life's work is to feel, figure out how they feel about everything. Um, so being with a four who's kind of pushing them towards that and hopefully pushing them gracefully, but it gives them an opportunity to kind of grow into that and say, how do I feel about this? Um, right. Do I have an opinion on this? Right. And that's exactly where I come in with the glow concept because I realized something in my work with couples that the two with the five or the four with the nine had some more access to feelings and had a little bit more groundedness. And now they look a little, a bit of a different nine than another nine might look. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it can really go both ways. The four can overwhelm the nine and never give them the opportunity mm -hmm. to speak out. But hopefully somebody who had the opportunity to work with the Enneagram and learn about it starts to understand that they are in a position to help their partner grow. Um, and something that I do that's very simple is if I want my partner's opinion, I pose a very open-ended question and don't state my opinion until I've heard his. And that's so simple. And I still get to be heard eventually. Um, but it just, it doesn't bias him because the nine is so apt to say, oh, that sounds fine. Yeah, I agree with you. Let's do that. Um, and you will never hear what they think if you say what you think first. So that's just, you know, a very straightforward technique that 
that works really well. It gives me the opportunity to honor his opinion and let him take the time to figure it out before I barge in with mine. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that you've had enough insight over the years to say, I need to do this. And then to put that into practice and seeing good results. It reminds me of it took how- a while. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It reminds me though of how twos and fours can both take note to listen to that as we talk about sometimes the the five uh, and the nine would really feel that sense of security if they knew, okay, you're pushing for relationship, you're the pursuer. But when you give me a little bit of space, sometimes I can start pursuing you and and that can be a whole scientific process because everyone's unique, but it is beautiful to see that. And it was just fascinating. I also noticed that you said that you thought the one had a really particular interesting spot on all of this with relationships. The one was the biggest surprise of all of them. As I was pulling out the data, I was like, what is going on with these ones? They are the biggest serial monogamous and I did not expect it at all. I mean, I thought we'd see interesting trends with fours because they're the romantics and obviously there's going to be something juicy there, but I did not expect ones to stand out the way they did. And what we really saw is that ones are in a relationship almost all the time. They have the highest percentage of people say they're in a relationship right now. When since that's sort of a snapshot in time, we can sort of conclude that a lot of ones are in a relationship. Um, they had a lot of relationships that they said were serious over their lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. Them and eights, which you can sort of see why eights would, they're very intense and they engage with a lot of people. But one, surprisingly, um, had a lot of relationships over their mm -hmm. lifetime and they had very long-term relationships. So they were the most likely to say that they were in a relationship that was eight years or longer, along with nines. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what we're seeing, how we can put that together is that ones tend to get into relationships. They tend to probably work really hard at them at making them work. Um, and they tend to work, they, they do that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And if a relationship doesn't work for one, they tend to probably get out of it and get pretty soon into another long-term relationship and start kind of working away at that one. So there are those perfectionists. And I think they bring that to their relationships that they really try to stick it out and make things better. Mm, yeah, I think you're right that they, they work really hard on things like that. And I'm married to one and I can remember how mm. hard he was pursuing me when we were kids, even because we met mm -hmm. in high school and it was this serious adventure for a wife. First, I'm like, excuse me, I, think I am a seven having fun and would you quit? So he literally chased me down. And of course, then as a seven, I was like chasing him and that's more fun to chase him. So I try not to let him chase too much because I'm like, no, no, that's boring. But he definitely pursued heavily and he laughs about it now. And he's able to say, you know, I was really mm -hmm. silly because I was, I had it in my mind as a one. It's right and good to marry as soon as possible. But, you know, an older mm. one sometimes has a little bit more foresight to say, I don't have to date everyone in the high school to find a wife or the college, or, you know, I want to give one some permission to take some time to take a breath before they step into that next relationship. And, and I love mm -hmm. that they do. I love that they don't just give up. I love that they're always, like you said, pursuing and trying to make things better. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think one probably are prone to say, OK, I'm going to find the correct relationship and then I'm going to do the correct follow the correct steps to make that 
successful. So maybe it is a question of just holding off and making sure you've really found the right person before you start to apply Mm -hmm. all of those perfectionistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And I'm glad that he, I mean, I am glad, and maybe this is a word to ones. It's okay to, you know, not be serious with somebody at the beginning just to see, because a lot of times ones can check Mm -hmm. off pretty quickly. They're pretty sweet about it. They'll say, you know, I had a lot of great first dates, but I just didn't want to pursue it. So I'm, I love that about mm. ones. They'll try it out. If it's not a fit, mm-hmm. they'll keep moving on. And that was a surprise though, to see that they're the serial monogamist of the group. Absolutely. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it at all. I should have known, I guess my mom is a one and my parents have been married almost mm. 50 years. So that should have tipped me off. Oh, that is so cool. Wow. Yeah. So the data on twos was pretty true to type, kind of what we expected. They're the type most likely to say that they're happier when they have a partner than they are when they're single. Very few twos said they were happier single. And they do put a lot of importance on being in a relationship. They say it's a goal of theirs, an important goal of theirs over their life. We're seeing that kind of need for love and desire for love come out with the two first threes. They were pretty close to twos as well in, in terms of being happy in a relationship where they really stood out was they were the most the type who said that it's very important for them to be in a relationship at some point over their lives to sort of find that partner they were the most likely type to say that it's very important and I think that has to do with that sort of goal orientation of threes they're very goal oriented in general but also that sort of heart center. Those that goal that has to do with really finding that perfect partner is probably very central to them. Yes. And they are just so romantic. Once you get to get past that bit of a harsh truth teller, they are so soft. Mm. And I think you're absolutely right that their heart is huge. And many threes that I've interviewed just they're desperate for a relationship if they're not in one because they just don't feel quite themselves if they're not mm. in a union. And I know that we do come together and make something even more beautiful together, but I also always want threes to know you are valuable and valid even on your own. But I love that mm-hmm. you have a heart for others. It's so beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one gotcha for threes to watch out for is to not let that kind of desire for status and achievement play into their choice of a partner. They are heart driven. So they want to let that take the lead and really find somebody who compliments them and who is good for them as a person and not somebody who necessarily looks flashy on their arm or has Mm -hmm. the right job. That's a really good point. And then another pairing we see often is six and one. And I think the same is true there. Um, the six, is, is, the six is kind of thinking ahead more, being a little bit more pessimistic, but that probably really appeals to the one because they want to cover all their bases too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the great thing about sixes is they're not surprised when things go sideways. So exactly. if their partner is really angry about something, they can take it. They were sort of expecting it all along. Exactly. That's a good point. I always wondered how they were so good with that. You just put that so succinctly. <laughs> Well, one type we haven't talked that much about is seven. Yeah, seven didn't have any really standout trends in who they pair with. They were with ones, twos, eights, nines, and sixes, which I thought was interesting. Mm. And that's another, I think, opposite attract pairing. We've got the sort of risk-taking, somewhat flighty all over the place seven, and then that very pessimistic six, probably Mm -hmm. saying, why would you want to do that? That's going to go terribly wrong. (laughs) So I think that this this is another one of those sort of opposites attract where people, the partners kind of balance each other out. 
I think mm-hmm. is really interesting. We saw some other trends with seven. They're one of the only one of the three types that are more likely to be single than in a relationship. So I think that does speak to the seven having a lot of interest, mm-hmm. wanting to explore a lot of things probably before settling down. They did tend to have kind of shorter relationships when we surveyed them. They were in shorter relationships compared to some other types. Mm. Yeah, again, I think they're, you know, kind of true to type in the data that we found. They have a lot of things going on. Relationships aren't necessarily the center of mm. their life. That's and they may way. take a while. <laughs> they may take a while to commit. It may take, if you like a seven, it might take a while for you to reel them in. <laughs> uh-huh. My friend and I, who she does the Enneagram seven page, we were laughing because so many people on her page and we could both relate had the runaway bride syndrome with the tennis shoes. And we just, you know, I can still remember when my husband asked me to marry him. It was very surreal. It's what I wanted, but I was also like, oh my gosh, like what? So it's it's really, we really like to trust ourselves. So really feels good when you can get trust and stay. That's such mm-hmm. a word for sevens is stay. So we want to encourage you guys that it's worth the work to find somebody who you can work with. They don't have to be all your happiness, but they can help and and even be a yin and yang with you. And perhaps like we said, with the six, slow you down sometimes. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I think the real sweet spot for sevens is when they find that person who makes life more fun and not mm-hmm. less fun. And then they know that they're mm-hmm. with the right person. With Wes, it, it starts with him saying, I'm fun and I want fun. Mm-hmm. And then it's... <laughs> with him saying, I'm too scared to do it. And then me having to push a little bit, but with grace, because you never want to push too hard as a seven. You don't want to force people. You're aggressive and assertive already. So it's a cool balance. Mm -hmm. Actually, every time he's like, thank you so much. Uh, you know, (laughs) the one who started it, but he just, it's hard for them to really feel like they deserve a rest. So it's been so much fun to do that with him. Yeah. Absolutely. I think sometimes we rely on our partners to prioritize things that we want to bring out in ourselves, but we aren't quite ready to do it. So having that partner there who's willing to say, yes, this is important can really help us to grow into that. Yes, I love that. And I feel like the eight really just does that as well with the vivaciousness that they bring to their relationships. Right. I sort of imagine the eight like a relationship tornado, they probably get into something with a lot of intensity, they probably put a lot of energy into that relationship. Mm -hmm. But if it's not working out, um, they're not afraid of conflict. So they probably get out fairly quickly as well. And and they spend a lot of time kind of single, I'd say, sort of scanning the environment, trying to figure out who is going to mesh with them and probably who is going to be able to deal with their Mm -hmm energy. Most of my eights in relationships right now have a very strict on themselves workout schedule. And even Mm. they really need their body work in a way that some of the rest of us might say, Oh, I need it. I'm in the thinking triad for grounding, or I'm a two, three or four. And, you know, it helps me to get out of my feelings a little bit, but those body types like the eight, they really need it. Just like you said, to not overwhelm their people. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to kind of diffuse some of that energy. So it's not going into your relationship. Mm, Yes. Oh, my gosh, this has been so helpful. I was going to ask, tell me about your paid test for $19 and your basic test. Yeah, absolutely. So when you take an assessment on our site, it's always the sort of full length assessment. So you always get that complete assessment of your personality. Um, it's just a choice of do you want sort, sort of overview or do you want to really see your 
uh, a sort of full in-depth report. The short overview, you do get your scores on each of the nine types. You can start to feel out which type might fit you best. You get some information on that. You can explore from there on your own. You can read the type descriptions on our site or explore other sites to see really what hits home for you. If you purchase our premium report, which is $19, you get a kind of full in overview of your type, what it means for you. And we have some kind of interesting extra features. When we were developing the assessment, we found um, some more detailed personality traits that make up Mm -hmm. each type. So that's how we calculate your type. It's actually a combination of four to five personality traits that we found kind of composed each type. So when you get your full report, you get more detail on those individual personality traits. And that's just about you as an individual. It's not um, sort of boilerplate stuff about your type. It's really who you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, So that can help to add a little bit more kind of color um, to your understanding of your type. And then we also talk about wings and arrows. So we're looking at, you know, how adept are you at moving into each of your wings? Do you use one wing a lot more than the other wing? And also kind of how blocked off are you or how much development work you have you done with your arrows? Have you kind of integrated those or are those still really underdeveloped parts of your personality that you could look at and start to think about to, to move forward? Mm, oh my goodness. And I bet with just the way that they're receiving the information is laden with depth and with care. And even I hear a fresh perspective. $15 is a really good deal. So I love that. Yeah, we try to make it affordable for most people. You know, when I started Truity, I really wanted to kind of democratize the process mm. of learning about your personality type, you know. Mm. It, it can cost hundreds of dollars to visit a psychologist and take a sort of traditional paper and pencil assessment. So I really wanted to create stuff that was high quality, but easy to access. So $19 seems to be a good middle ground. Yeah. Oh, it sure does. It's so encouraging. So if you are looking for counseling, coaching, and you're not ready to do the full deal with somebody, start here. This is such a reliable test for you to take and even comes with those growth steps. Where can they find this? So you can go to truity.com. The Enneagram test is easy to find from our navigation menu. Or you can Google at this point, you can Google Enneagram test and we are the first result typically. So that's an easy way to do it as well. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. That is super easy that you are out there and they're getting this. They need it. And and we're so grateful. I am so grateful for you just sharing your relationship results. Can't tell you how fun that is and exciting and meaningful. And you had about 89,000 in these relationship studies, right? We did. Yeah. Yeah. About 87,000 people answered at least one question on our survey. So we used everyone who answered a question or more. Mm, Yay. Okay. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Molly. It's been such a gift to have you. Well, it's been my pleasure and I'm glad we did this. It kind of prodded us to do something that was really interesting and look more closely at it. So it was a really fun opportunity. Yes. I'm so glad. Okay. Well, thanks. Thank you. 
Okay, I'm so glad you got to hear that episode. I know that you're going to be making inferences and you are going to be thinking about the data as you see it. And I want you to know this is your life. You can make the inferences you like, but please do it respectfully. Don't run up to your spouse and say, I notice that you're not good at relationships or you are, but then as a one, you keep on trying to find somebody else right away. You have to take some breaths. You have to balance out your instinct. You have to balance your heart. You have to balance everything together so that your thinking is clear. And I want you to make sure you do that so that you can honor this is research, but you are an individual and you are empowered to do your absolute best in your life, as is your spouse. And you've got you. But as a seven, I realize I'm going to have to pay attention more to helping you guys with relationships. And I'm always thinking, oh, let's all do our self-care so that we're good in our relationships. But I learned from the research that with sevens being happy in all circumstances, do want you to understand that yes, I hear from my research side of things that I need to make sure I I give you relationship tools, not just self-care tools. However, that being said, I've always known that sevens were good at self-care and I have also known that many of the other types are not. So that's how it works. Growth for me, but also growth for you. So I'm not gonna stop encouraging that. But I also will remember that not everybody feels like, hey, I'm okay whether I'm in a relationship or not. So that's something I learned. If you are left wondering more about your type, don't worry, this conversation is not over and I'm gonna take some time on a podcast in the near future to go over more in depth about the nitty gritty on the research amongst the types. As I said, this was a coffee style chat. You can go take a look at the research for yourself over at Trudy, over at Enneagram and Marriage. So totally enjoy that too, but I'm gonna be talking about it with you. So for those of you who might say, I'm a three or I'm a six, or I didn't feel you covered my type as well as I would have liked today, we're not done yet. This was just the beginning and it's just a fabulous chance for us to take the curtain pullback look at what personality testing is all about. And I hope you were just as curious with me and had a great time with me. I am a dance mom this weekend, so I'm going to go get my girls and go shimmy on over to see what they're up to. And I hope you have a wonderful week. I'm sure we're all in our busy week now, and I'm sure that we'll meet again very soon. We have such awesome episodes ahead. We have a Gottman researcher. We also have Suzanne Stabile coming on the show contest. So I'm grateful with you for all the experiences we're going to have this Feb love month. So we have to go there, but I'll see you soon. Have a great week. Bye guys.